Good afternoon. I am Jeff Smelser, and this is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Joe Works from Elmire, New York, is here, and Chase Byers from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, is here. Let's say hello to Chase first. Seems like I usually say hi to Joe first. Hi, Chase. Hello to Chase, and it's probably because he's your favorite, but that's okay. <laughs> now you left. Uh, uh, hello, Joe. <laughs> All right. Today. The first to be... You know, that reminds me of something that happened earlier this week, uh, but that's okay. I won't bother with that story. Um, good to see you both this afternoon. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, uh, we're going to, we're working on a series where we go through the last week of Jesus' life. And uh, of course, he, he's raised from the dead and he'll spend 40 days with uh, his apostles after he is raised from the dead. We're talking about the lead up to the crucifixion and just let's do a quick review, guys. Uh, so what we would call Sunday, uh, he rides in on a donkey from the east, from the Mount of Olives, and the crowds were adoring him, and then he gets into Jerusalem, and what do we see happening when he gets into Jerusalem? A lot of conflict, uh, pretty, pretty quickly. He, he goes in, he cleanses the temple, and of course the, the leaders of the Jews are uh, a little bit perturbed with that. What gives you the right to come in here and, and do this kind of thing? And um, and then he he starts telling parables uh, and teaching in the temple each day. Uh, he's going out to Bethany to spend the night each night, and in in the daytime he's in there in Jerusalem, in the environs of the temple, uh, teaching parables that that indicate the leaders of the Jews are not necessarily going to be a part of the kingdom of God. And even some indication that uh, the, the harlots and the tax collectors will go in before you. And um, so, of course, the leaders of the Jews have already been wanting to crucify Jesus, looking for an opportunity. They were going to wait until after Passover, right? Yeah, that's what they wanted to do. They did not want to kill him during that time. There would be a lot of conflict amongst the, the people if they did that. Uh, so they were trying to avoid uh, all of the, uh, the crowd being upset about it. But as he, as he um, continues to press his point, and then Judas has an opportunity to lead them to where Jesus is, he's, G, G, that's what's going to happen. And so we come to Matthew chapter 27. G, Judas has led them to where Jesus was in the Mount of Olives. This would have been what we would consider Thursday night uh, after they'd eaten the Passover supper, after Jesus' disciples had. And uh, now they've arrested Jesus. They brought him back to the court of the high priest, to the, to the home of the high priest. Uh, G, Jesus has been accused and slapped around. Peter has denied him three times, even though Peter said he would never deny the Lord. And now we come to chapter 27, verse 1. Anything else that we need to mention in particular, just in terms of reviewing what's going on? Okay, Chase, why don't you start us into Matthew chapter 27, and uh, just take us through uh, the first two verses. Now, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. So the Jewish people decide he's got to go. It's time for him to die. And that's kind of their decision to be made. But as you guys know, that's not a decision they could make by themselves. They're, they're not their own nation at this point anymore, are they? 
But, you know, there were times when that didn't seem to prevent them from, uh, you know, back in John, the eighth chapter, uh, they had taken up stones to stone Jesus. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. They were minded to stone him to death in John, the 10th chapter. They do stone Stephen to death in mm -hmm. Acts, the seventh chapter. Uh, why the sudden scrupulousness about remembering that their place was not to put people to death as they're under Roman rule? Could it be because of just the, the political climate uh, with the following that Jesus had gotten? They realized that this wouldn't be able to, this wouldn't be something that they could do that would go unnoticed, but this would be a bigger deal if they were to kill someone like him. Right. The, the, the crowds are adoring Jesus. All right. So Pilate is a Roman governor. Let's pick it up in verse three. And uh, Joe, if you'd take us through verse five. Then Judas's betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we see uh, Judas's similar reaction to Peter, sorrow for betraying the Lord, for denying the Lord. Judas is obviously was a was a different flavor than what Peter had done. Um, but you you see the the sense of remorse, and uh, you almost want to say repentance because he he gives the money back. He uh, he really. Uh, acknowledges that what he had done was wrong, but he does not return to the Lord for, for that. And uh, so he goes out and hangs himself. And there's actually a word that's translated repented himself in the American standard in, uh, in verse three, but it happens to be a different word than the one we usually think of as being associated with repent, um, which indicates a change of heart. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So you can have a change. You can feel bad about something without really turning your heart to the Lord. Uh, and apparently Judas did not turn his heart to the Lord or he wouldn't have killed himself. Yep. All right, let's go on. Verse six, the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's the price of blood. That's interesting. They've just paid this price. This is the money they paid. <laughs> and, and, and they've just conspired to have Jesus put to death. And now they're being all careful about, well, we shouldn't donate it to the temple. Verse 7, they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Chase, you know what a potter's field would look like? Mm, the field that has a bunch of pottery in it? or the field that has a bunch of holes dug in it because the potter uses it to get his clay out. You can imagine it's not exactly a pristine lawn. Yeah, I would imagine. All the topsoil's gone. It probably looks like my back lawn. My dog has dug so many holes in the back lawn. That's <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And so it would be a kind of a worthless piece of, of ground, or at least not worth very much. So they could buy it cheaply. And they would, they would buy it and use it to bury strangers in. So that field was called the field of blood until this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was priced, whom certain of the children of Israel did price. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now, there's a, there's a little issue here with this quotation, right? 
Zechariah? Yeah, it, it seems more similar to a passage in Zechariah, in Zechariah the 11th chapter. Uh, you have it open? Yeah, uh, Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me the wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it in, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. But do, your, do the translations you're using in Matthew 27, verse 9, does it appear that this, this uh, reference is attributed to, or that Jeremiah is, is mentioned as the source of this? Yes, yeah, definitely, yeah. So what are your thoughts about that? Uh, so what, Jeremiah 32, um, looking at... Uh, You have a field being purchased, right? Um, Anathoth. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what passages might read here. Um, verse 8, then Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, please buy my field that is in Ananoth, uh, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right inheritance is yours, uh, and the redemption yours, buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamiel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him 17 shekels of silver. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a sense of buying a field um, in Jeremiah 32. If I think if we were going to look for something. Oh. Uh, no. So we've got a comment here. Could Jeremiah have said it, but not in the book named after him? So that's also an interesting interesting thought. There are some things that are mentioned in the New Testament uh, about Old Testament events that are not recorded in the Old Testament, but uh, they were known otherwise. So, for example, Paul mentions the name of the Egyptians who imitated uh, the turning the staff into a snake when Moses and Pharaoh came, Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh. Paul mentions their names in 2 Timothy as Janus and Jambres. Um, and there's some other examples like that. So that's a possibility. <clears throat> Any other possibilities that you all are aware of is what could be the explanation here? <clears throat> so we've got a, a passage that seems somewhat similar in Jeremiah. There's the, the buying of a field and pieces of silver, but it's not nearly as similar as the passage in Zechariah. Uh, there's a possibility that Jeremiah said something that was recorded elsewhere um what other possibilities are there <clears throat> well you've got luke luke chapter 3 uh verses 4 and following the words of isaiah the prophet um and isn't that both uh some from isaiah and some from malachi am i or am i confusing that so i don't remember in that particular case but we also see in other passages for example in acts chapter 15 when um, James says, and to this agree the words of the prophets, and, and most of what he says is from Amos, but I believe the first words that he quotes are actually from Jeremiah. Uh, so it is not unheard of that somebody quoting from the Old Testament would combine a couple of passages. There, there is that. And then there's also this thought. Sometimes, uh, remember, <clears throat> they didn't have the whole Old Testament in one in one bound volume, but they sometimes had multiple books in one bound volume. You could have them, what we call the minor prophets, for example, put together. 
the book of Psalms might be put together and, and you might have uh, in, in David, even though the psalm that's being quoted is not necessarily David's psalm. Um, and so, so one suggestion has been that maybe Jer Jeremiah was regarded in some circles as the, the beginning or the head of the prophets. And um, so it doesn't mean necessarily in, in Jeremiah's own writing, but in that collection of literature associated with Jeremiah. Uh, I don't know the answer. There are different possibilities. So can, can it be a Septuagint thing? I'm legitimately asking. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, uh, I don't I don't believe when I don't recall. I, I won't take time to look it up right now, but I don't recall that in the Septuagint, uh, it, it, it looks any more like what's being referenced here is from Jeremiah 32. OK, well, let's move on. Uh, so verse 11. Uh, Chase, why don't you take us from verse 11 down through verse uh, 17? Yes, sir. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Did you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. All right. So we need to talk about Barabbas here. Uh, but before we do that, I, we've got a question here. Is there a textual variation? So if we look at Matthew, this is going back to the quotation in Matthew 27, verse 9, then was fulfilled that which was spoken through Jeremiah, and yet he seems to quote Zechariah. So in the manuscripts, the, the strong, strong evidence that is so, so, so much the majority of the manuscripts say Jeremiah. Um, but in some of the ancient, uh, and, 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 they, and they say it different ways. Some say Jeremiah uh, with a, a masculine genitive ending. Some say it with, with a, a slightly different ending. Um, but there, there is some tradition for Zechariah, and there's even some tradition for Isaiah. That is to say, if you go back in some of the Syriac manuscripts or some of the people who wrote about the New Testament and quoted excerpts from it, like Origen and Jerome and Augustine, you'll find them sometimes quoting this passage and substituting the word Zechariah for Jeremiah. And in one Italian manuscript, it says Isaiah. But those are so much in the minority, it seems like those are instances where somebody has seen the problem and so they've corrected instead of quoting it as Jeremiah, they're quoted as saying uh, Zechariah. All right, so we come back to our, our present text here that uh, Chase just read to us. I guess let's notice verse 11, first of all. Are you the king of the Jews? Uh, Jesus said unto him, how do your translation say it at the end of verse 11? What did Jesus say when he said, are you the king of the Jews? It, it is as you say. It is as you say. Yeah, I kind of wonder if this isn't similar to the expression we sometimes hear. You said it. Somebody will maybe sarcastically say, and you are the greatest guy alive. And you, say, you said it, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I um, hate it when that happens to me. <laughs> and, but of course, Jesus isn't being sarcastic here. Jesus is, 
uh, he's saying, you know, it's almost, uh, well, he's, Pilate isn't meaning to affirm that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but Jesus is affirming what Pilate has said. And when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, then he answered nothing. And we remember in, in um, Isaiah, Jesus, like a, a sheep before his shearers, is silent. Uh, so here Jesus is, is silent. He's not protesting. Um, and, and so then there's this Barabbas. So the custom was that the Roman governor at the Feast of Passover could release to the Jews one of the prisoners, uh, probably a Jew, that he had in prison for one reason or another, and just out of the, as a kind of a, a goodwill gesture to the people he's ruling over, say, here, I'll let one of your prisoners, I'll let one of the prisoners that I have from your people, I'll let him go. And so, um, verse 17, now here we have another textual variant. Mm -hmm. uh, whom will I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? So there's, there's some textual support for uh, it saying, whom will I release to you, Jesus called Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? So your, your newer NIVs, 2011s and up, would, would say Jesus called Barabbas or Jesus called Christ. Yeah, and um, it seems and like that would be an odd thing to introduce into the text if it weren't original. Right. Well, and the argument comes from the later manuscripts um, have Jesus called Barabbas. And so some of your translations like NASB, ESV, some of those are looking at that and saying, well, it's the older translations that have Jesus called Barabbas. But we learned that Origen from 300 AD um, had actually talked about this issue all the way back then. And yeah. so it, it was an issue they were dealing with. Yeah. It makes more sense that they dropped the name Jesus yeah. rather than added it in 1000 AD. Right. And, um, and you mentioned Origen. His sentiment was he didn't think it could be authentic because no sinner is ever called Jesus. Yeah. And so you can see there would be a bias against having this Barabbas called Jesus. Right. But which, I think, I, but contextually, I think Matthew's trying to make a point. What, like, which Jesus do you want me to release for you? This one or this one? You know, that's the way it seems. Even, even in verse 22, Pilate says to them, what then shall I do unto Jesus who's called Christ. That almost seems like I'm needing to clarify, not Jesus Barabbas, but the Jesus who's called Christ. Right. And going with it, there is some of the cool stuff happening in the Aramaic with Barabbas, meaning son of the father, um, right. is quite literally what Barabbas means. And Barabbas is going to go free, and Jesus is going to take the place of Barabbas. And you kind of see how that would be similar to Jesus taking our place on the cross as well. Right, right. So there is a theme in the Bible of the counterfeit. You know, the, the devil uh, fashions himself as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. And in the book of Revelation, there's this idea of um, this beast that had a head that was uh, as if it had been slain and come back to life, imitating Jesus having been killed and come back to life. And of course, this beast is in opposition to Jesus. And so you have this theme in the Bible of the idea of the counterfeit, that which tries to look like Jesus, but isn't. Um, and so it kind of seems that's what we have going on here. And so Barabbas, you mentioned the Aramaic. Bar means son, and Abbas, there are different ideas as to what that Abbas is, but the most obvious thing is that it's the term, related term Abba, father. And so son of the father, 
well, Jesus is the son of the father. And so then you have this guy called Jesus, son of the father. So that's all interesting. And, and so we, we don't know any more after this about Barabbas, right? Well, we do actually. After he's released? Well, we don't know anything more about it, but after he's released, there's mention of him in Acts, the third chapter, where he's right. called a murderer. Right. And, and, and I think, is it Luke that mentions he was guilty of murder and insurrection? No, exactly. Mark. I thought Mark did, but... Mark remember. says he... Let's see, I think Mark says that it's Mark 15, I believe, maybe verse 7... Yeah, and there was one called Barabbas lying bound with them that had made insurrection. Men, plural, who in the insurrection had committed murder. So apparently he was a part of a group of men who were insurrectionists, and, and the group was somehow responsible for the murder of somebody. And Barabbas is therefore called a murderer. Yeah, Luke, Luke 23, uh, 19, insurrection and murder. Which, of course, there's just tremendous irony. I know we're not studying Luke's account here, um, but you have the very people who are saying that Barabbas ought to be released are in the very process of committing insurrection and murder against the King Jesus Christ. Uh, and so they, 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 are, they, they want him released. It's as if they're saying, release one of us. Um, they're doing the very things against Jesus, insurrection against the throne and murder against the king. So it's interesting you bring up Luke's account. Luke says of Jesus, Luke says that Pilate said of Jesus, this is Luke chapter 23, verse 22. I have found in him no guilt demanding death. So Pilate declares Jesus innocent. And then in verse 25, Luke says of Pilate, he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will to, to be put to death. So, so the man who was innocent is put to death and the man who was guilty is released. But there's, there, there's an irony there, but there's also something, if you think about it, very consistent with the gospel message. We are the sinners who are guilty, who are set free, because Jesus, who was innocent, died. And, and we're, we're seeing a very strong pattern here, aren't we, in the last, uh, uh, this last section? People who keep coming across the, uh, uh, in contact with Jesus are, are proclaiming Jesus to be innocent. Yes. Judas, Judas proclaims him innocent. Pilate proclaims him innocent. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's very clear that those who are involved are, are doing so to someone that they know is not deserving. Now, before the deal with Barabbas and Jesus is resolved, um, there's a little uh, message that Pilate receives here. Joe, start in verse uh, 18 and go through verse just 18 and 19. For he knew that because of envy that they had delivered him, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So, you, you know, Pilate, Pilate here, he, he's, a pra, he's a pragmatist. 
He's a, he's, a, he, he's a politician. He doesn't see the value in putting to death somebody for no good reason. He's not really inclined. He doesn't like having his hand forced by the Jews. But at the same time, he doesn't want to rile the Jews up. He's trying to find a way out. So he knows that they've delivered up Jesus just because they're envious of Jesus and the following that he has. And um, so he's trying to find a way out. And then his wife comes to him. So he's got his wife saying, you, you, you can't have anything to do with this Jesus. I've suffered many things in a dream. He's got the Jews clamoring to put Jesus to death. This man sounds like a, a man in a difficult spot, or at least he thinks he is. Yeah, yeah. It, history does not paint him as a benevolent individual, um, but certainly in this situation, he finds himself way over his head. So, so then we come to verse 20, and it says, the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So let's have Barabbas released. But the governor, that'd be Pilate, answered and said unto them, which of the two will you that are released unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, well, what then shall I do unto Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all say, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out exceedingly, saying, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he prevailed nothing, but rather that a tumult was arising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this righteous man. See ye to it. I suppose, is, am I right that this is where we get our expression, I washed my hands of it, that kind of a thing? Well, I, think, I, so. I think this would be a good example of it. If it's not the original, uh, if he's not the originator of it, it certainly is a great example of somebody trying to do that. John adds the detail that the Jews said, look, if you, this man said he's king, he makes himself king, so that makes him a rival to Caesar, and so if you let him go, then you're taking the side of a rival against Caesar. Well, of course, Caesar is, is uh, Pilate's boss, and so Pilate feels his hand is forced, and he has to put Jesus to death. And then verse 25 is interesting. All the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. What are they saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll, Fine. we'll accept the guilt of that. Yeah, we responsibility. This this comes back to our minds later on, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, trying to bring his blood upon us. Yeah, over in Acts, is it Acts the fifth chapter or is it Acts the fourth chapter? I think it's Acts those, the fifth chapter. Those two chapters, um, they uh, they always run so similar in my mind, so I always forget. Yeah, yeah, because you have... Peter and John arrested in Acts 4, and then the apostles arrested in Acts 5. Yeah, it's 528. Um, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Yeah, so here, by the time we get to Acts 5, they said, we don't want to have any, we're not responsible for that. You're trying to blame us for his death. Seeing a different tomb. So, verse 20, yeah. Maybe just a couple of, Quick, quick applications uh, to here that I think are, are helpful for me to think about for myself. One is I can proclaim that I am separate from something uh, that I've washed my hands of it and still be responsible for right. it. Right. Uh, and then the other thing of getting caught up in the crowd, how dangerous that is. Yes. Uh, in, in any situation. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we saw that earlier with the disciples about the the perfume could have been sold. Right. You know, and uh, you know, thinking that something is the right way or just going with the crowd, being caught up in emotion, uh, 
for some movement, whatever it might be. I'm not trying to make any political statement. We just need to be careful about any of that. We need to right. judge with righteous judgment. Right. So, sometimes it's best just to, if you if you don't have a conviction in a matter uh, and you don't have good reason in a matter for for your opinion, just let let everybody who wants to talk about it talk about it. Just sit back and be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know. Uh, here, though, though Pilate was in a position of authority, he had the authority to, to make the decision here, and he acquiesces to the mob. So we come to verse 27. Chase, why don't you take us from verse 27 down through verse 31? Yep. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, took the reed, and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they passed or pressed into service uh, to bear his cross. So... Uh, the, the, they, they dressed him up to look like a king and make fun of him, right? Yeah. This is because he is king of the Jews, and they're mocking that idea. So what all do they do to him to make him look like a king? Well, so they've, they've put a, a scarlet robe on him. Uh, they ironically twist together a crown of thorns to put on him. It's painful, obviously, yep. but it still represents you know kingship as they put this crown on him. They're kneeling down before him and, and saying hail to him as the king. Mm-hmm. And the thing I, I Joe's motioning with his hand, imagine having that crown of thorns beaten into your head mm-hmm. um, as they are doing so with the reed. And also, I like to point out, they're also spitting on him. They had already bound his hands. And so imagine being spit on without the ability to wipe the spit off your face. And the reed, they put it in his hand, first of all, as if that were a scepter. And, and then they've taken it out and they're whacking him on the head with it. And as you say, he's got that crown of thorns on his head. So that would been painful. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, anything you want to talk about as far as Simon coming after him and carrying the cross? Uh, I mean, in Mark's gospel, we know that it's the father of Rufus. Um, and so it's, it's likely an early disciple's father. Um, that does this is from my understanding. So just to point that out. Verse 33, when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall, which I understand would have been a bitter drink, right? Sour, bitter. Right. I think that's right. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments among them, casting lots. And they sat and watched him there. Of course, in Psalm 22, which is just full of this imagery in the life of David, David talks about they cast lots for my garment. They divided my garments among them and they cast lots for my garments. They, they had in, indeed divided up his various garments when you take all of the accounts and put them together. But John explains there was one garment that uh, didn't have a seam where they could tear it and separate each one getting a piece of the fabric to take home to his wife to sew with or whatever. And so rather than ruin it, they cast lots for that one. Um, and they sat and watched him there. 
and they set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That's interesting. That's what the sign said. And the other accounts tell us that it was written in multiple languages. Yeah, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And then there were crucified with him two robbers, one on the right hand and one on the left. And you remember Isaiah 53 describing this suffering of the servant of the Lord as including the fact he was numbered among the transgressors. And it says they passed by, railed on him, wagging their heads. And again, if we were going back to Psalm 22, we would see David describing his suffering uh, and saying that they were wagging the heads at David, just that kind of, you know, kind of, oh, just shaking your head at, at uh, what has become of this person. And saying in verse 40, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God, come down from the cross, which is mocking him. Of course, he had talked about that back in John 2, that they could destroy the, the temple, meaning his body, and he would raise it up in three days. And then in verse 41, in like manner also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. He is the king of Israel, no doubt said with great sarcasm. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe on him. He trusts on God. Let him deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And of course, that again is language that we see David uses when he describes what his enemies are saying of him again in Psalm 22. So there's a lot of, of things going on here that would bring to mind, if somebody were paying attention, bring to mind Psalm 22, where David, this is the son of David on the cross, where David had used the same kind of language, right? And, and, and how, I, I want to use irony, but it's a tragedy. Uh, so much of the words that they're saying are almost correct. Uh, you know, uh, destroy the temple and in three days I'll raise it. That's exactly what is in the process of, of doing right, yeah. right here. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, he saved others himself he cannot save. That's exactly right, um, because if he did save himself on the cross, then others would not be saved. We, you and I would not be saved. Um, so, so many things that they're saying are true. They just don't realize it. Yeah. Uh, they, they mean them in a very different sense, of course. So a viewer who comments, not just bring to mind, but to fulfill Psalm 22. And that's where I want to take us now to the next verse, verse 45, 46. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, now we're going to get it translated. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those are the words with which Psalm 22 begins. I really think what's going on here is Matthew has just described all the events that we've seen foreshadowed in, in Psalm 22. Jesus knows that he is fulfilling what was foreshadowed in David's life. Jesus calls attention to the psalm, quoting the first line. And if anybody were paying attention and, and knew their scriptures well enough to know what was in Psalm 22, and many of these Jews would have, then they would think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He just said that. That's, that's Psalm 22. That's what I'm seeing happening right here in front of me. And it, it maybe it would cause somebody to realize this is the fulfillment of the expected son of David this to come and be the Christ. Yeah, I, I think that's 
he's saying this out loud for their sakes to for them then to to go and look at that yeah. song yeah and for, uh, for us, it's not because for us to look at it yeah yeah jesus does not jesus is not misunderstanding the event he he's not questioning god i don't believe i think he's quoting this so that they would go and look at it but interestingly, not everybody thought of Psalm 22, verse 47. Some of them that stood there when they heard it said, this man calls Elijah. Now, how do they get that out of it? In my, my understanding, is this too juvenile to look at it this way? But is it just as simply, he's using the words Eli. Yeah. And he would have been saying that, he would have been saying that in Hebrew, but they would have heard it through an Aramaic way and so they would have just heard elijah is that how they would have thought of it i i may be wrong but i think this eli eli lama sabachthani is something he would have said in aramaic but okay. they would have heard eli and eli is, is short for elijah i mean it's the first part of elijah and and, and, and and so think about it from from their vantage point who was it that they were looking for elijah uh, you know look at Ma malachi uh, the, the coming of Elijah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like, no, you just need to go further back in the Old Testament. Yeah, right. right. Uh, <laughs> Elijah had not been killed. He had been taken up to heaven alive. And then Malachi had said, Elijah's going to come. And so they're expecting Elijah. John, they sent messengers to John. And after John confessed and denied not that he was not the Christ, they said, well, then are you Elijah? And so they hear Jesus saying, Eli, Eli, I think you're right, Chase. They heard Eli, Eli made them think he's calling for Elijah. So, all right. Verse 48, Joe, why don't you take us from verse 48 and go down through verse 52, 53. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks were split, the graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Mm -hmm. So he is the resurrection and in connection. And, and it's kind of interesting. You have to pay attention, I think. It says, after his resurrection, they entered into the holy city and appeared unto many. Um, so in connection with his resurrection, there are many people literally raised on that occasion. Yeah. That, that's one of those things you think, surely people made note of that. Surely, did, did people write down anything about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it calls to my mind the, the death of Elisha. And uh, his, you know, through his bones, right. uh, one coming to life. Right. Um, and of course, Elisha. Uh, uh, well, now I've got a brain freeze. God is my um, savior. God yeah, is salvation. God is, yeah, God is salvation. Uh, and so uh, very similar. Uh, Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. Yeah. Um, uh, so a great foreshadowing there. And as we see so often, uh, we have the. The, the false that you talked about earlier, but we also have weak comparisons or foreshadowings. Elisha is like a weak foreshadowing uh, of, of Jesus here. Yeah. 
through Elisha's death, one came back to life. Through Jesus' death, many came back to life. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you mean by weak. So, right. He, he, there's the idea of his death being the cause of somebody coming back to life. But in his case, it's just one. In Jesus' case, it's yeah. a whole yeah. thing. Elisha oh. fed 100. Jesus fed 5,000. There's a number of those similarities. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good. Okay. Um, so verse 54, now the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were done, feared exceedingly saying, truly, this was the son of God. Can you imagine? Yeah. And many women were there beholding from afar who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering unto him among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So that would be the mother of James and John. And they're there. And um, of course, uh, I guess it's John's account that mentions that Jesus says to the disciple whom he loved to, to John, uh, behold your mother and to, to Mary, behold your son and trust his mother just before he dies. But Matthew has already described Jesus giving up the spirit back in verse 50. And so now we come to verse 57. Uh, when even was come, now if he's if he ate the last supper, the Passover supper Thursday night, now he's crucified on Friday. Now this is the evening uh, of Friday. And of course, for the Jews, when do they count Sabbath as beginning? Friday evening. Friday evening, yeah. Sun, sunset sun, Friday evening. Sundown, right, yeah. So so here comes the Sabbath. So when even was come, there came a rich man from Joseph of Arimathea, from Joseph of Arimathea, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate commanded it to be given up. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock and he rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and departed. And again, what do we see in Isaiah 53 that anticipates this? But in the end, buried with the rich. Yeah, with a rich man in his death. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting over against the sculptor. All right, Joe, why don't you take us through the, the rest of the chapter here? On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how the deliverer said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he's risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Yeah. So in verse 62, it says on the morrow, which is the day after the preparation, people get confused here. And because of a misunderstanding of John 19, 14, they assume this means the day that you prepare for the Passover. Uh, but this is the day you prepare for the Sabbath. Jesus was crucified on Friday. And the, and the, and the word here that is used to that is translated preparation is the Greek word for Friday in modern Greek. Uh, because it, it was that day that they used to prepare for the Sabbath. And so now, the day after the preparation, well, he was crucified on the preparation day. The day after that's going to be the Sabbath day. 
so this is the day that the chief priest and the scribes are starting to worry and they're afraid that the disciples will steal Jesus' body and make it look like he was raised from the dead. So what are they going to do about this? They're going to make, make sure that the grave is sealed up good, and they're going to put guards over there so that the disciples can't come and do anything funny. And so his body will stay in there, and then this will be the end of the matter. Yeah. All right, we have a question here. John 19.31, do we know for sure this is a seventh-day Sabbath, or could it have been just one of the yearly Sabbaths? So John 19.31 also uses the word preparation. Let me turn over there. In John 19.31, it says, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross upon the Sabbath, for the day of that Sabbath was a high day. I think what he's saying there is it's the preparation for the Sabbath, it was the preparation that fell in the Passover week. That's why the expression back in verse 14 of John 19 is found. It was the preparation of the Passover. So there was a preparation day every week, but this was the preparation day that fell in Passover week. Remember, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Week of Unleavened Bread are used interchangeably at times. And so this is especially important Sabbath day because it falls in that week. I, I do think it's the seventh day Sabbath in John chapter 19, verse 31. That Sabbath day was coming on. And so they're going to take Jesus off the cross, make sure he's dead uh, and not have his body hanging there on Sabbath. It, right. it, it, isn't it also, uh, uh, I guess maybe uh, if I'm understanding Pat's comment, maybe I'm not. Um, it, it, to me, it's both because it is a Sabbath. Yeah. But it is also a part of the yearly event of the Passover, yeah. uh, Luke 23. Uh, the 14th day is the Lord's Passover. The 15th day is the, first, is the, day, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so as they're getting ready for this, then you, this, is a, this is a very special Sabbath for, for them, uh, not, not just a regular Sabbath. And I, I, I think that was the idea of the high, isn't it? The, the significance of the now, If I'm thinking right, the 14th would have been the Thursday, that evening day, the Passover meal. The 15th would have been Friday when he was crucified. And uh, then this would be the 16th that would be this Sabbath day. Am I thinking right? So, uh, yeah, I, I guess what, what I'm thinking is well, I'm, I'm not sure. I'll just, I'll just pause there. All right, well, in, right. any, in any event, we're out of time, so save by the bell here. Yeah, good. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Lord willing, we will finish this up next week with Matthew chapter 28. Thank you all for listening.